So anyways, guys, thanks for being here this morning. As John said, my name is Simon, and um, I'm the pastor here, uh, but just one of a handful of leaders who are here to serve you guys. We're going to begin a new series of teachings this Sunday that I'm really, really excited about. I'm always excited about diving into God's word, but this is something that we've been praying about. We started the year out, as we do every year, spending a week or five days, I suppose, technically, praying and fasting as a church family. And it's something that we actually do um, on a, like as John mentioned, we're part of a, a wider family of churches called Every Nation. And it's something that we do. And it's really cool, but it's the way we, we sort of set the, the tone for the year. Really just set aside the time to seek God, to pray, and say, what, what would you have for, for us this year? What, do you, what would you have us do, Lord, here in Portland? And so we did that. And then we spent about five weeks just looking at the person, the character, the being of God. And we did a, a six-week series of teachings entitled Awesome God. We looked at all the various names of God and how he's revealed himself to be those different aspects of his character through his actions in the Bible. So we did that. While we were doing that, I was praying uh, several of you here in this room, our staff, mostly volunteer staff, as well as our elders were praying and fasting, asking God, what's next? What would you have us focus on as we continue on in the year? And the more we prayed and discussed, the stronger the consensus became. We need to really try to figure out as a community, what does it mean to live life in the spirit? Not just a spirit, but the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. What would it look like to walk in step with the spirit, to use the, the biblical language, on a daily basis? Where God isn't just uh, a spiritual activity that we do among other things in our lives, but what would it look like if I lived my daily life, my relationships, my work, my dreams, my struggles, like in immediate, real, intimate relationship with God or with the Spirit of God. I feel like personally, well, I'll start with that. Personally, it's something that, that I desire to do. And the longer I've been walking with Jesus, trying to follow, trust, and obey Jesus, the more I feel like I'm becoming aware of how far I have to go. I'm becoming increasingly aware of my spiritual incompetence. And I reckon that's a good thing because if you don't even know of how far you have to go, you don't really even have any motivation to begin. What if we as a church family began to grow in that sort of life in the spirit? Whereas when we came together as a community, we, we were worshiping not just in word, not just in song, not just in information, but really engaging with the presence of God in a moment. And what if somehow we were able to continue doing that when we left little gatherings like this, as wonderful as they are, what if we took it into our week? What if we figured out how to really grow in that kind of relationship with God? Life in the spirit. So that's what we're gonna get up to for the next, well, let's see what the spirit does. Let's put it that way. Usually we have a very, well, okay, 
And in full disclosure, we actually do have a very sad, I have the whole outline for the series done. It's going to last two months. But if the Spirit wants to lead us beyond that, how fantastic would that be if we became the kind of people who are living our lives in the Spirit? So you guys ready? We're going to begin in the book of John. That's in the New Testament. It's the the fourth book, and it's one of four books that describe the life, the teachings of Jesus. You could think of it as like a a biography. John chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 35. It says, the next day, John was standing with his two disciples, or with two of his disciples. And he looked as Jesus, at Jesus as he walked by and said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. But it was about the 10th hour, which would have been around 4 p.m. Let me pray for us. Father, Thank you for your promise. You said that whenever we gather like this, when we gather um, for the sake of meeting with you, when we gather in your name, you're with us. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we consider this very short but incredible passage that we just read. Help us, Lord, to have hearts and minds that are receptive Lord, I pray that you would help me to articulate um, truths that are, in fact, from your heart, that we would hear your voice, that you would be our teacher this morning. We want to live life in your spirit. We want to experience the life that you have saved us for, the life that you died for. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first became a Christian, if you've been around for a minute, you've heard me share little bits of my story uh, many, many times. It's good to reflect on where you began. About 20 years ago, probably closer to 21 years ago, I was sitting in a little meeting, probably about the size of this gathering today. It was not a church service, it was a campus outreach. Some uh, young people on my university campus in Long Beach decided they were going to put on a little meeting and invite a bunch of people and then have someone stand up and give a talk on Jesus. And he did. And I remember sitting in my chair, quite unexpectedly feeling overwhelmed with this sense that God is is present in this room. Something's happening. I can feel it. It's visceral. I feel like my heart is about to pound out of my chest. 
I think God is trying to get my attention. I felt deeply convicted of my sin. Terrible feeling. But it felt right. And I remember responding in that moment. You know, if you've ever been to a, a Christian meeting, sometimes the guy up front talking will have you respond in some way. Maybe slip up a hand. In this particular case, the guy talking, he said, if you want to get right with God tonight, stand up right where you're at. He didn't even ask us to close our eyes. <laughs> Super awkward. But I did it. I think it was just the right thing. It, it kind of caused me to, to take a bold stand. And so I did, and I stood up. And that was really, in so many ways, the beginning of my life. Following Jesus, getting to know Jesus. I remember, I vividly remember, thinking to myself that night, if this is real... Because, look, I'm not going to lie to you. There was, there was that little part of my, my mind that thought, what if this is all just the, like the psychosomatic? What if I'm like making myself whatever? And, you know, we all have those thoughts. But I thought to myself, if this is real, if God is present in this place, and what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing right now, what I've just responded to is, in fact, God himself, I would love to experience some kind of a relationship with God that's more than just me getting back to my religious roots. Because to, to be honest with you, I was not, nor have I ever been interested in just getting back to my religious roots. Some people are into that. More power to you. Personally, I'm not at all. And I don't think it's actually what we find when we begin to trace the story of God throughout the scriptures. God doesn't seem at all interested in just getting us to adhere to religious behavior or even necessarily just memorize a bunch of religious doctrine or rote. What God is interested in is inviting us to experience life in real relationship with him. Now that does involve uh, patterns and disciplines and ways of living a lifestyle, if you were, it does involve truth. Like we don't just get to make it up as we go. God is who God is and he reveals himself to us primarily through his word. And so those things are very important. But primarily, God invites us to follow him in a relationship with him. And that was my desire that night. And the good news is 21 years in, I'm more convinced than ever as I've been studying my Bible, as I've been figuring out how to trust and obey Jesus, that that's exactly what he wants for every one of us. That we would experience life in relationship with him, life in the spirit. The big question when Jesus appeared on the scene around the turn of the first century in Galilee, as we just read, the big question wasn't what's the next step, what's the new teaching, what's the, what's the new tech, what's the upgrade, the secret info, latest hot goss, or whatever, that, that's not what the disciples were looking for. That's not what they asked. The question was, Jesus, where are you staying? And of course, his response was, why don't you come find out? Come, walk with me. Come and see for yourself. You know, the question those two disciples 
who at that point weren't really Jesus' disciples. They were following this other guy named John who was preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah. But as soon as John saw Jesus, he said, look, forget about me. Follow that man. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who we've been waiting for. So they followed him. And the question they asked him, Jesus, where are you staying? The word they used, this is actually kind of helpful and interesting. They said, Jesus, where are you staying? The Greek word is meno, translated elsewhere as abide. Jesus, where are you abiding? And that turns out to be a major theme. It shows up over and over again all throughout the New Testament, 120 some odd times, 40 times in the book of John alone. Jesus, where are you abiding? That was the big question. Jesus, where are you staying? That, I would argue, is really the great question of the Bible. It's the great quest for people to figure out, God, where are you at and how do we get where you are? When the story begins, if we go back to the garden... We find uh, Adam and Eve, the, the original humans, are our parents, as it were. They've been created. They're enjoying relationship with one another and God, their creator, in this garden. And then, of course, everything goes wrong. You may or may not know the story, but apparently the, the humans, they sin, they rebel. They, for whatever reason, God only knows they're tempted and they choose to trust themselves instead of their creator. It's a bad situation. And so something happens and there's a fundamental break in their relationship with God. Anxiety and shame enter into the equation. And ultimately the result is they're ejected out of the garden. They're sent east of Eden. And that's where the story continues. That's where the quest to get back begins. How do we get back to the garden? How can we get back into right relationship with our creator? Because out here, there's nothing but shame and anxiety. We need to get back to where God is. God, where are you? How do I get where you're at? Quite soon on, in the story, we find the people building a tower in an attempt to get to the tops of the heavens. It's as if the humans inherently know we've got to get back. We've got to figure out a way to be where God is because everything's falling apart. Later, we find a group of people who have now become God's people, referred to as Israel, being led by a man named Moses. Everyone's heard of Moses, whether you're a church kind of person or not. I slept with a dog named Moses Friday night. How about that? <laughs> Spent the night at a friend's house. He's got a little... Little, uh, little bulldog named Moses. We had a great cuddle. God's people are being led by Moses. And at one point in the story, they're at this mountain, Mount Sinai. And Moses has gone up the mountain to meet with God. And there, there's so much to the story, but for the sake of brevity... Uh, there's, there's a moment where the people, the humans, have rebelled once again. And God tells Moses, look, go ahead and go on without me. I want you to go ahead and, and go to the land that I promised your forefathers, but I ain't going with you. you. You forget about it. And Moses 
he, he intercedes. He essentially begs God. He says, look, don't send us unless you go with us. He says in Exodus 33, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. The story continues. God, we want to go where you're sending us, but we're not going to leave without you. We need to be where you are because it's your presence that's going to set us apart. It's, it's with you. It's God with us that's going to make everything better. That's where the healing is. That's where the life we're looking for is at. God, don't send us unless you go with us. And finally, in the very end of Exodus, we read about how the people of God built a tent in the desert. They called it a tabernacle. And it's this elaborate sort of situation. There's all of these details and the symbolism's rich. And it's almost like if you, if you study it, there's this, this kind of a candelabra, this tree-shaped candle, this menorah in the tent, and there's fire, which is the presence of God. Of course, the menorah is the tree, and it's like they've recreated a scene in the garden, and that's where the presence of God is meant to dwell. And at the very end of Exodus, they finally complete the construction of the tabernacle, and it says that the presence of God filled the tent only because God's presence was there, Moses was not able to enter. And it begins with the book of Leviticus. How many of you guys have read Leviticus? That's an amazing book. The whole weird book is this elaborate explanation of how God's people are meant to get into the tent. It's the, it's the quest of the Bible. How do we get in to the presence of God? How do we experience intimacy with our creator once again? And the story goes on and on and on and on. This is the grand narrative of scripture. How do we get back to where God's at? I love what the psalmist says. Psalm 24, 3, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? How are we going to get back to where God is? Now the good news is, as it turns out, that God doesn't wait for us to scale the mountain. And God knows we've all tried. Instead, God comes down. God comes down to us. God actually descends into the, the very depths of human shame and suffering, violence and despair. God in Christ comes down. He comes way down. He comes as low as any, any human has ever come. He becomes one of us. And he takes all of the sin of the world, yours and mine, onto himself. And then he's lifted up. He dies for us on a cross. And then he invites every single one of us, just the way he invited me that night, he, he's inviting every one of us in this room, lose your life, enter into the grave with me, die to yourself and be lifted up with me. Experience new life. Jesus didn't just, just die a vicarious death on the cross. He did. He atoned for our sins, but he invites us to participate in this life. He asks us to follow him, which is why he says, take up your cross, lose your life, join me in the grave that you might be lifted up with me. I'm going to the mountain and I want to take you with me. Jesus invites us home. It's why in the book of John, 
Eventually, it culminates with this speech before he goes to the cross. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, they're the ones who will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's inviting us to abide with him, to be where he's at. Because God doesn't merely beckon us to observe him from a distance, require his coordinates, and take mental notes. He invites us to come home, to be with him, and, and he sends us his Holy Spirit who guides us, who helps us, who lives with us and walks with us until we finally get there, until we finally come home. This is life in the Spirit. It is cool. Who said that? Why is it so hard? It's cool, but it's really hard. Now, Jesus said his yoke is easy. So it's not, it's not the kind of hard that, that we experience in the world. The world, the, world, the quote-unquote world, life as we know in this broken, wonderful, but very deeply broken world is, is incredibly hard. Because everywhere we go, we're being told who we are, who we should be, how we should think, what we should act like, who we should, who we should, we should become, etc. And that's heavy. It's, it's soul crushing. Some of you are pretty good at it, or at least on the surface. Keeping up appearances, looking right, impressing the neighbors. I was never great at it. I gave up a long time ago. Eventually, you'll, you'll just collapse under the weight of it all. Jesus has come to me. Leave that behind. Come to me. My yoke is light. My burden is easy. Or the other way around. But it's still very hard. I mean, just the imagery of losing your life, laying down your life, surrendering your agenda, setting aside what you think is going to deliver fulfillment, happiness, taking up your cross and following. I mean, the whole picture, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a trip to Disneyland, if you're into that kind of thing. Some of you are like, oh, that's bad metaphor. It's hard. It's, why is it so hard? I would argue one of the reasons why this, this life in the Spirit, walking in intimate relationship with Jesus here and now, as he leads us home so hard, is because we, we are in, in, what's the word? We're infophiles. We're obsessed with getting more data. I believe that many of this could be a generational phenomenon. It could just be a human phenomenon. But we think that if I can just get more information, if I just have more knowledge, if I can just learn more principles, if I can just listen to more podcasts, read more books, get my, my head full of more knowledge, then that will be the thing. That'll be the answer. That's, it's the secret knowledge that I need to get in order to experience this kind of life that I think Jesus has saved me for. It reminds me of, um, I was thinking about this earlier this week when Shirley, my wife, and I were living in the UK. Um, we'd occasionally take a black cab. In fact, I think the last time we took one was on the way to the hospital to meet our, our little girl, Evie, or rather to bring her into the world. Um, and that's, a, that's, a, that's an adventure. 
taking a black cab through the streets of London while my wife is in labor. It was awesome. Was it awesome? It, it, it worked out. But you know, if you've ever, if you've ever been to, to, to one of these old cities or maybe one of these ancient European cities, the roads are like spaghetti. It's like grid on top of grid on top of like, well, not so much grids, but just spaghetti. And you, I mean, if you look hard enough, it's like, well, that, the Romans built that road and then it's right next to the freeway and it's just, it's total chaos. So if you're a black cab driver in London, you have to learn what they call the knowledge. It's like a real thing. I, I, I asked the cab driver one time, how on earth, because they don't even have the sat nav, no navigation. They just know where everything is, every road, you name it. And they said, oh yeah, it's the knowledge. We have the knowledge. How many of us, it's for real. Like, it's like you like get like born with it or something. It's like the force, it's similar. But how many of us think that the key to experience this life in Jesus is to get the knowledge? Now, let me qualify it because I'm not saying that life in the spirit is anti-knowledge. That would be, no, it couldn't be any further from that. But this idea of gaining secret knowledge as if that's going to unlock this life, this relationship with Jesus, it's not the way forward. It's certainly not what the scriptures tell us. Insisting on getting the knowledge, it's like, it's like taking a black cab through the cobblestone streets of London. You could ask for directions. You could just ask someone with the knowledge, like, hey, tell me where to go. I don't need you to drive me there. I just, give me directions. I've also tried that in London. Honestly, I think unless you can fake a British accent really well, a proper Londoner is going to mess with you. They're going to give you like totally wacky directions, but it would be like, hey, give me directions. And the black cab driver is like, yeah, sure. And you can spend like months wandering around the spaghetti streets of London, endless roundabouts, and never, ever actually get to where you're trying to go. Or you could get in the cab and trust the one who knows the way to actually get you home. Get in the car, go on the journey, see where Jesus is staying. Let him lead you there. Let him drive you home. In the same way, this, this, one, this one would be worth writing down. Jesus doesn't talk us out of the darkness. He walks with us through the darkness in life. Jesus doesn't talk us out of the darkness and the endless roundabouts of this life, he walks with us through the shadows and the valleys and the brokenness of this world, helping us every step of the way until we finally arrive at our destination. This is life in the spirit. The helper comes and walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death and thus we needn't fear any evil. He doesn't just give us instructions. He doesn't just drop tablets from heaven. He says, I'm with you. Now trust me, follow me, walk with me. What if we are the kind of people, how cool would this be? What if we are the kind of people who are walking with Jesus, enjoying conversation, learning all sorts of incredible things, and then four o'clock rolls around and we're like, oh, dang, it's 4 p.m. I prob probably better get moving, Jesus. Probably, uh, probably should get home. It's been real, but I've got laundry to do. What if instead... We're like, oh, Jesus, it's 4 o'clock. 
um, mind if I crash at your place tonight? What if we were that like awkward guest that just lingers about until it's so late that like you really have to just let them crash on your couch? Some of you are that weird lingering guest. I love it. I love it. What if we were those kind of people? Oh, snap. <laughs> Sorry, it's my little mic pack. I'm not a guru. I don't, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not proposing that we spend the next couple of months unpacking this, which is what we're going to do. We're going to look at sort of different practical aspects of what this life in the spirit uh, might really look like, how we might attempt to, to do it in some specific areas of our life. In fact, can we just go to that, that last slide, please? Yeah, there we go. I don't know if we'll get to all of those. I think at least a couple of those subjects we'll, we'll probably have like a special time in the evening where we can go do some Q&A, do some discussion, maybe have some other people get involved. But these are some of the different areas. Um, and again, this, this is based on what you just find in Scripture. Practical ways that life in the Spirit um, is worked out. And I'm not standing up here to tell you, like, look, I'm gonna, we're going to go through this, and I'm going to teach on all these things, and you too can have the secret knowledge. That, that's not what this is about. I feel like the Spirit of God is inviting us as a church family to go on a journey together, to explore these things together, to learn together, to worship together, to wait on the Lord together, to be still and listen together, to work through some difficult things together. There's certain misunderstandings, what I would call fallacies of the spirit that I think will come up along the way. Some of you, I have no doubt, are already feeling maybe a little bit triggered just by the subject. You're thinking, oh, is this gonna get weird? I've been to weird churches, where are we going with this? What's going to happen? What are you proposing? And I think there's some misunderstandings out there. And I, I don't want to see any of us get left behind or, or stuck or caught off guard because of perhaps abuses, spiritual abuses that you've experienced or you've, you've had people that you care about experience. And we're going to have to work through that stuff. We're going to have to dig into the scriptures and figure out what's actually of the spirit and what's just weird and really not from God at all. Are you guys with me? Can we stand together, please? Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, an advocate to help you 
and be with you forever. That is the spirit, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, the spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is Jesus' promise to all of us who would turn away from, from trusting ourselves, trusting in all of the various things that the world has to offer, not necessarily evil things, just not Jesus. Jesus' promise is that if we would turn to him, trust him, begin to die to ourselves in all sorts of practical ways, that he would give us a spirit, that the spirit of Christ would come and be with us, even live within us forever until we come home. If you like the sound of that, if you're like, man, this is what I've been waiting for. Or if you say, this is definitely not what I was waiting for. I feel very nervous about this, but, but I'm open. I believe that, that this is actually biblical. And if we can do it as a family, if we can do it in a way that's safe, that's loving, then yeah, I want in too. So that, I think, should apply to everyone. If you're either one of those two people, can you extend your hands like this? If you're comfortable doing it. This is a sort of an expression to say, okay, Lord, here I am. I got empty hands. I'm open. I'm willing. Spirit, we welcome you. Won't you lead the way? Teach us, help us, convict us, build us up. Would you teach us how to hear your voice? How to relinquish control? experience life in deep, wonderful, transformative relationship with you. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.